Welcome to another episode of the Puck Around Podcast. I'm your host, Ava Rosen, along with my co-host here, Jace Rosen. Lucky to have him back, Stephen Miotto. Stephen, we'll start with you. How was your week? I'm back, baby. And uh, two leagues were good. One week was bad, or one league was bad. You know, you go two for three, you can't complain. And one of the leagues that I lost, I had Tage Thompson. So if you can believe that somehow still managed a loss but uh it's good to be back i apologize i missed last week extenuating circumstances as some may call it as, as i told the listeners last week he needed to recover from uh the big beatdown i gave him in the big league or the chili <laughs> league sorry uh, <laughs> okay how about you jace how was your week steve who'd you lose to uh in uh, oh and uh i i presume you if you're asking yeah, you, you, you presumed, I, I don't right? Know, I don't know all the names in that league yet. I'm still learning all the names. Well, but uh, that, that makes it burn a little bit even more. It definitely does. It definitely does. I can imagine. I'd be really upset if I were you. But no, good weeks. Um, I'm, you know, 2-0 and oh in the weeks. Whenever you win, whenever you sweep the week, it always feels good. And uh, obviously beating FHN hosts are also the best feeling. So, uh Good weeks and uh, hoping to keep it up for this week. Unfortunately, not playing anybody from FHN. So we'll see. Trying to keep yeah, it up, Jace, but good starts. Uh, so, sorry to cut you off there, Jace. Uh, no, I was going to say, I actually played Jace in fantasy football and fantasy hockey last week. Uh, my hopes and dreams are pretty much squandered in fantasy football this year because uh, that's it's just a fun thing to do. Um, and Jace's aren't, but he managed. I managed to beat him with my one and seven team. Uh, I actually crushed you, if we're being honest. Um, but he beat me in fantasy hockey. And I said to, uh, I think one of our friends, like, yeah, I fully would have rather the fantasy hockey win over fantasy football last week. But that's just uh, the way she goes sometimes. That's but, the uh, way yeah. the cookie crumbles, Bruce Almighty. Yeah, no, you you, uh, you nailed that one, Steve. But uh, let's uh, let's get right into uh, some lineup and injury news, and then we got a fun show for you planned. Lots uh, lots to talk about. So let's get right into it. Uh, some big injuries. My team actually is just decimated. We'll get into that maybe later. But uh, some big injuries right off the hop. T.J. Oshie, he's on IR. Doesn't sound like he's going to be back anytime soon. Seth Jones, he's out with a thumb injury, uh, at least four weeks from what I what uh, we've been told. Nick Ehlers, um, he blocked a shot early in the year. It didn't seem like it was anything bad. It seemed like we were just going to miss a few games. But everything we've read recently just shows that he's not healing the way um, we've ex- they've expected, and they don't really have an exact timeline of when he's going to be back. Super unfortunate because I think he's Winnipeg's best player, and I need him in my fantasy roster as well. A little bias there. Uh, some goalie injuries. Matt Murray. Um, I actually want to talk a bit more about Matt Murray. We're, we're going to – little have a little conversation about it before we get into other people uh, matt murray from what we've seen and what we've read still he's skating this week but still a ways away quote end quote um i had to drop matt murray today i no longer had the the injury of the ir space to keep him on my roster and and it's tough i i do believe in matt murray i think he's going to be on a good team when he comes back and should get still a decent amount of starts but if you've been holding on to him, if you still can, fantastic. But I do think it's okay to drop him. Uh, you know, he's still on LTIR. He's going to have to miss at least 10, but it doesn't seem like he's going to be back anytime soon from what we've read. And if you're hurting and you have too many injuries, like I, I have I have had five or six on my team, 
you kind of just have to bite the bullet and, you know, hope no one picks him up and maybe you can get him, you know, when he actually becomes healthy, but it's, it's, I think you're okay to drop Matt Murray if, if you've been thinking about it. What do you guys think? You kind of have to, I mean, like on top of whenever he does get back, which sounds like it's still at a minimum when they say return on imminent or, you know, that was the way Yahoo put it, but sounds like he hasn't made any progress. And when you consider his injury history in the past, that's really not a good sign. And then you have to also factor in once he gets back, he's not going to get a ton of games. Number one, because of his injury. And number two, because Samsonov has been playing well. So next thing you know, we could be at game mark 40, 50, 60 before he's going, if ever, 50, 50 with Samsonov again. And considering what, you know, the Leafs intention was is, I know this is my this is my theory. I, I think a lot of people think the same thing was sign Murray or trade for Murray, sign Samsonov, and have them both go and hope one hits. Right now, Samsonov's running with it. You know, he's I think he's only got he's he's playing really well. Even the games the Leafs have lost, it wasn't really his fault. So it's gonna be pretty tough for Murray to take the the reins back. And I'm speaking from someone who's got Murray on two two different fantasy teams. It just seems like a big mountain. If you've got it, if you've got multiple injuries, it seems like a very big mountain for him to become something of value when you're starting to lose main games on a week to week basis. So right decision. I don't need to yet on my two teams. I'm kind of holding out and hoping that there's a miracle that comes along. But the second that I have to, I'm not going to hesitate because there's a ton of different circumstances are kind of pitted against them. No, I think you summed that up perfectly. I'm not even going to ask Jason's opinion because I, I think that was really well done. And one thing I would just want to add, actually, because I know we, we did our hot takes at the beginning of the year, Ilya Samsonov right now is goalie 10, Stephen. So I don't know if you remember your hot take was that Celia Samsonov would be a top 10 goalie this year. Obviously, it's still super early, but he's been, on, he's been outstanding. He's been everything the Leafs could have asked for and more. And I think you nailed the fact that when he comes back, Matt Murray, like, I don't know if he's necessarily the, the number one guy. I don't know if he was the number one guy to begin with. Like he, he definitely was given the first start of the year, but it was always going to be relatively even, maybe 55, 45, that kind of deal. Yeah. Um, Ilya Samsonov, I think it's his net to lose right now. So um, yeah, like let alone coming back and becoming the one, it's even a question of coming back and it being a 55, 45 in Samsonov's favor. Like, I don't even think they'd get that. So no, that's true. I don't know. It's, it's a lot of, uh, hopefully anybody who did take Murray did what most, I, I assume most people did is sort of a late round flyer. Right. Yeah. Let me ask you, do you guys know, before we get back to everything else here, do you guys know who goalie one is right now? Hmm. Goalie one. Uh, oh, goalie my. One. No, I'm going to say, oh, it probably is Allmark, but it's either, I think it's either Allmark or Carter Hart. It's Carter Hart. Wow. Carter Hart. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. No, I was, as much as I had a hot take about Samsonov, I'm pretty sure I, I, I totally ripped on Carter Hart in like preseason episodes. So we can, uh, uh, we can go through the archives later and check those out. I'm sure we all have a few bad ones. Don't worry. Um, another goalie injury, Philip Grubauer, he's week to week. Um, John Carlson, Tory Krug, John Carlson, it seems like he could be back on Saturday. Um, you still have to be a wait and see Tory Krug. He's a uh, day to day right now as well. 
Um, I don't know if he's going to be held at a lineup for the next few games, but it's something to keep an eye on. Ryan Hartman, he's on IR. He's out for at least a few weeks, it seems like. Brock Besser is day-to-day right now. It seems like he could be a game-time decision over the next few days. Quinn Hughes is back. Love that. Top defender in this league, especially in fantasy-wise. Um, always want the best players on the ice. Good to see him back. David Krejci, uh, he could be back Saturday. Um, I think he's dealing with an upper body injury as well, so that's something to keep your eye on. And then a couple of guys who were back in the lineup this week, definitely making uh, fantasy owners happy. One is Pavel Buchnevich. He returned the other day. Uh, anything I missed there, guys? No, I think that's uh, – I think in terms of – I can recall right now injury-wise. Well, on that note, I think it's important that – we kind of talk about these rosters and how flexible it is, especially with all the injuries, all the, you know, the movement that's going on. A big thing about injuries, the, obviously the unfortunate aspect of injuries, you, you lose that player, but if there's any silver lining to it is that you give other players opportunities. And especially in fantasy, opportunity is the name of the game. And one of the biggest outlets of opportunity in fantasy hockey is power play time. Um, I talked about it before. Actually, I wrote something about it in the summer, talking about how important power play production is to fantasy scoring and how strong of a relationship it does have to overall scoring and how it can differentiate, you know, fringe players from stars. And there's more on that on the website. I highly recommend everybody take a look at that. Might be a little biased here, but it's worth looking at just because of the fact that like I said, power play does have a proven relationship to fantasy production. And on that note, I think it's worth them, like worth noting some of the injuries there have opened up spots for new players on the power play. Uh, a couple names you had mentioned. Seth Jones was always the, you know, the PP1 guy in Chicago. Now that he's gone down and it looks like he's going to be down for the next couple of weeks. It's brother actually, Jones. Yeah, it's opened the door to his brother, Caleb, to step in. Do I think that Caleb is the best player in hockey? No. Do I think he's a great defenseman? No. But do I think that he's going to be in a really good power play with some really good players vis-a-vis Patrick Kane? Yes. And I think that instantly makes him worth value or instantly makes him worth at least a pickup and someone to look up for in your leagues. To give you some context here, Caleb Jones is only rostered in what appears to be 2% of Yahoo leagues. So he is going to be available. He is going to be, uh, you know, ready to contribute to your team. He's someone that I am looking out for, uh, especially for the next month. If you were to say to me, hey, Jace, do you want the power play one defenseman playing with Patrick Kane on Chicago for the next month? And whoever knows might even be longer. I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes. Um, there are a couple other names I wanted to bring up, but I wanted to ask you guys, you know, you get these opportunities where you see more power play production. Are you looking out specifically for that kind of stuff when you're looking at your waiver wire pickups, when you're looking at, you know, mid-season pickups, if you're looking at even pickups, not just for weekly schedules, but also for, you know, season-long value. If that's something that, you know, piques your interest when you're making these pickups. I mean, it's – here's an example. I actually – was lucky enough to uh, take advantage of was Brandon Montour. Ekblad goes down and Montour's put up a ton of points on that. You know, there's a lot of weapons on that Florida power play and he's the one that's running it. Uh, There's no Forsling. It's four forwards with Montour. You know, it's more so than forwards. I think when a defenseman steps into the top of that umbrella, 
they have like you know someone slots in like a Patrick Hornquist slots into the bumper roll on a power play a little bit less of an impact than someone slotting into the top of an umbrella that's going to yeah. be like you said Caleb Jones feeding Patrick Kane on that side wing right so mm-hmm. even more so than forwards I like when a defenseman slots in because there's a bigger impact but yeah I mean it, it there's a case in point right there Brandon Montour he's had a crazy odd start and uh, I'm hoping it continues. I mean, last season, he already had career highs, 36 points offensively. And uh, I mean, considering what he's shown, I hope that Florida, you know, I think when Ekblad comes back, he loses that spot. But hopefully that gives him the confidence and momentum to continue his offensive pace. Uh, it's possible he actually remains there, too, because even if you remember, like with Ekblad there to start the year, they were going with uh, three forwards when Ekblad and Montour on the, on the points. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, um yeah no steve kind of nailed that uh there's a reason why we talked about a couple shows ago for at least 10 minutes uh the benefits of picking up jean jerome moser right hmm. jj uh, jj moser we, we wanted to pick him up because he's on the first power play getting a ton of minutes right we talk about it all the time talent opportunity um a guy like caleb jones for the time being has a good opportunity to step in and put up some points i think he already has over the last few games i think he has a couple assists Yep. Take a quick look here. I believe he had an assist last night, maybe two assists the night before, or maybe um, it was reversed. Got, uh, his last one, two, three, four, five games, he's got five points, right? Five assists. So, and like he has five assists on the year, and they've all come in the last five games. I think Seth Jones only has been out for the past two or three. Yeah. Um, but still, he's getting way, not way more ice time, but significantly more from what he's seen earlier in the year. And, you know, a guy like him, a guy like uh, Eric Gustafson over the next few games, as long as you know, John Carlson's out. He's taken over that first unit. Those are definitely the things we're looking at when we're picking up the waiver wire. Um, Steve kind of mentioned it. Yeah, we we tend to prefer it when it's a forward because, you know, obviously there are, you are scoring more goals likely as a forward compared to a defenseman. But wait, 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 Dave, start that. I meant I, I preferred defenseman. He did. You prefer picking up a defenseman who goes into a forward spot. Unless it's one of the two side spots on the power play, the two forward positions. Right. You got you someone think- slotting into the bumper. Right. I think that's less that's less impactful than the defenseman who runs the top of the umbrella. Fair. He's right. Yeah. My mistake. Sure. Uh, it, again, it depends on which forward spot. You know, someone oh, it, it it's the top of the umbrella. Those two forward right. spots and the defenseman at the top of the umbrella that touch the puck the most. So yeah. even if they just, you know, the defenseman passes it to someone like Marner and he does a slap pass and someone tips it in front. They both got a touch. It's those right. two bottom forward positions that I think are less valuable. And I feel like when you've got someone slotting in as a forward, like a Patrick Hornquist or whoever, not one of the main shooters or not the main right. playmakers, they become less impactful. But it's, it's I, you know, instead of saying defensemen, it's the top three umbrella players mm-hmm. that if they slot into a power play, they become pretty valuable. And, and usually the defenseman's the quarterback. Which is right. which is why they're the the you know the person of interest when at least when you see them on yeah. the waiver wire, no, right? Well, that's a fair point. They're getting more touches, like at the other day, and and all you need is one of those guys to put one in, um, as opposed to just to give you an example, a guy like uh, Stefan Nosen right now in Carolina, playing first power play, um, but he's net front, right? So you're kind of banking on almost like a rebound or a deflection for him to get a point, and you know he actually did get a power play goal the other day, and that's great. That's a good pickup. But you, you do, uh, you've, you've changed my mind here in a, a short period of time. And 
in terms of uh, <laughs> because no, just because you're right. Like uh, the defenseman, or if someone's on those flank positions, they're getting more touches of the puck on the power play, and that's kind of what you're looking for. Yeah, I was actually going to bring up Stefan Milton because I do think it's a good pickup, at least on the first power play. I, I I like power play one players, I really do. And obviously, there's a premium to the position that we're they play in for sure. Those top three guys, you know, who round out the top of that umbrella, definitely. I have more value to them, but realistically, the odds of scoring on the power play are higher than they are on five on five. And if you can take advantage of that and be on the ice for that time, then who knows? There's always a chance that you can still be involved. Um, net fronts will be, I mean, due to the nature of the position and a lot of power play configurations will probably be the least likely to contribute. But like I said, still a time when you can, have an increased chance of scoring a goal and have an opportunity to contribute on the fantasy score sheet. Right. So, yeah. Um, he was another player. Also another guy who's really thrived in power play time too. Gabe Velarde. Let's not forget about that as well. Right. Um, the top unit has definitely been good for Los Angeles and him being there has helped his numbers as well. Um, some other players I actually wanted to note here too. Dominic Kubalik has definitely thrived in that position. Uh, the defenseman on Boston's top unit, Hampus Lindholm, has been fantastic on that top power play, and especially for that power play too, which is absolutely lethal. He is crushing it there, and it shows with his offensive production thus far. Charlie McAvoy is not going to be bit, or back for the next little bit too, so that's and he's not available in most leagues. Neither is Kubalik or Velarde for that matter, which is why I kind of wanted to focus specifically on Jones and Mason, but. Still, like, power play means opportunity, means fantasy production. So uh, I just really wanted to reinforce that point because I'm seeing a lot of, you know, notes now on Twitter, on, on all these news sites about, you know, the importance of power play production. I just want to reiterate that. It also provides some value on the waiver wire end too. So and see which guys might be worth uh, taking a stab at. So, um, No. Really good to have this conversation. I'm glad we can always focus on the defenseman too on the power play. Thank you for clarifying that. You heard that, it here Steve. first. You, you heard, heard it here first from Jace Rosen himself with the article. Yeah. I don't this... care if these big time outlet media speakers want to say they had it. You know, you heard it here first. FHN, fantasyhockeynetwork.com. No, I think you nailed that, Jace. Like, um, like it's definitely something we're looking at when we're working the waiver wire. The big things, like for me, obviously, is power play time. Um, what I do, and I think we've talked about this before, like I'll, I'll break it up into smaller segments, right? I think we're all pretty good at reading trends, right? It's, it's, you're looking for stretches of play where you see consistently good opportunities, putting pucks on net, getting power play opportunities, getting blocks. And that's what I'm kind of looking for when I and, – and then the schedule that they have coming up. like it, And actually, my, our father, he's, he's – arguably like the best of this where he's he's looking weeks ahead when it comes to pickup sometimes and if he has a coin flip between you know uh you know one example he kind of was talking about today uh dropping uh a sean monahan or a max domi um max domi they don't play until next thursday and i think only have two games next week so he's looking ahead to next week even when we're, we're talking about right now so schedule opportunity power play and then Go on Yahoo, use the last 14 days, last seven days, and look who's putting up points lately. Like, I just did that right now. And, and Matias Michelli has five assists in, like, the last 14 days, and, like, I think all of them are on the power play. 
know what I mean? Like he's, there's certain guys where you can find trends and yeah, Matias Michelli, you're like, you know, why do I want to pick up an Arizona guy? Who cares what team he's on? As long as he's putting up points and, and, and providing value to your roster and has a good schedule, you know, three, four games a week and at off nights as well, they're worth, they're worth flyers. Yeah. So that's what we're kind of looking at when we, when we make our pickups. It's not like last place teams are losing every single game shut out. They got to put up goals too. And usually if they're pretty weak lineup where they get their production is five on four, because that's the one place they have an advantage. Right. right. So. Yeah. No, right. Right. For sure. Bad teams score goals too, guys. Let's not forget it. Okay. Good stuff there. Let's uh, let's have a little fun here. Okay. We've, we've done the informative. We've done the lineups. Let's get into a little bit of fantasy fun. Uh, I have a game of fantasy. Would you rather? I've got a few uh, scenarios for you here. Very simple. I'm going to give you two players. You tell me which one you'd rather have for the rest of the season. Okay. So we'll do one for forwards, one for one for D, one for goalies. Okay. So we'll start with our forward group. I had a few different options. Uh, maybe I'll tell you about one of them later. But the one I'm going to go with here for the rest of the season, would you rather have Jesper Bratt or Braden Point? Jace, we'll start with you. This is tough because I really like Braden Point. But I think I'm going to say yes for Brad. And it's it's intense. I know. It's a shocker. The reason why I'm going yes for Brad here is because I think that Jack Hughes is an absolute wagon right now. Like, I think that guy is going to score so many points. And I think a lot of it also has to deal with, like, the production that he has with Jesper Bratt too, especially on the power play. I think those two are just lethal, lethal. That being so, said, yeah. I want to yeah. intervene here right before you get finish your point. I'll, I'll, I'll make a bet with you that Jesper Bratt outscores Jack Hughes by the end of the year. Outscores Jack Hughes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm outscores- fairly confident outscores Jack Hughes. Yeah. I'll put a hundred bucks on it. Whatever you want. You can name the terms. I am all on the Jesper Bratt train. Ooh. Okay. You know what? I'm in. Let's do it. We'll discuss. We'll discuss the details such, after. It's gonna be such a tight race. Same power play. Same line. Is it, is it from <laughs> this point on, or uh, no, whoever has more points at the end of this year? Not even fantasy points. Like legitimate hockey points. At the end and, of the year. At the end of this season, not the fantasy season. The NHL season. Fine. You're on. Okay, we'll figure out the details after when we bring it up next week. But continue with your point. Okay, well, on that note, uh, (laughs) I think those two are absolutely lethal together. I think Jersey has been playing a lot better, and it's because they have a really really good team, good young team that, you know, when they have goaltending, actually are very competitive and – have great numbers in terms of possession, in terms of shot generation, in terms of all these offensive metrics. And I think Jesper Bratt and Jack Hughes play a big part in that, that equation. So um, I love Braden Point. I think he's amazing. And he obviously plays with some of the best players in the world, but I'm riding the wagon here. And uh, the Jersey boys, I, uh, I love the show. So I'm saying Brad over the over – over point for the rest of the year. Oh, that was good. That was good. I love <laughs> it. How about you? No, I agree. I mean, I, I, I'm also a massive fan of point. Um, but I don't, I don't know what it is. Like, I think I was looking at, it. I think our Avery, you and I were talking about it yesterday. 
Jersey's averaging almost 40 shots a game. And again, that top line, I, I really like that second line with his year as well, but that top line with Hughes and Brat is just been phenomenal. Marino and Seigenthaler, I, don't, I doubt I'm pronouncing that correctly, but are probably two of the best defensemen at keeping the puck in the offensive zone, especially with that top line. So they're going to have a lot of, you know, in, in basketball, you call it second point, you know, second um, opportunity points, second chance points. I kind of get that vibe from, from Jersey. Like they just hem teams in and they pepper them with shots. So, you know, when someone's hot and the momentum is there and someone's having a breakout year, I already know, I know Jesper Brad had a great year last year, but I could see Hughes and Brat surpassing the years they had last year in terms of point per game production points i kind of think we know what he is i think he is anywhere between 70 to 90 points a year seems like it's a bit slower this year last year wasn't fantastic i kind of want to go with the up and rising team that's got a ton of momentum especially with that player it's going to be tight like i i mean they're both you can't go wrong with the two but i think uh, something else that sort of puts brad over the edge we know what Tampa's power play is, but Brat leads the league in five on five points. And I think that's even more impressive. One thing about Jersey, they are uh, first in shots for, and like uh, they're giving up the least amount of shots against like they, if they actually get steady goaltending, they have some ability to do some real damage. Like they're, they're a good team. Uh, just for Brat. And you can call me crazy if you want. I think he's poor man's Nikita Kucherov. I, I, they, I see a lot of similarities in their games. And I know I've made a comparison of Matt Boldy, Nikita Kucherov a couple weeks ago with you, Steve, uh, which I do think that if you actually watch Matt Boldy and how he skates, now he handles the puck. It, there is some Nikita Kucherov flashes in that game. Um, but Jesper Bratt is probably a better comparison to Nikita Kucherov in just terms of how they play. They're constantly having the puck on their stick, the way they make passes. Jesper Bratt, I am such a big fan. I really am. I, I truly think he is the most underrated player in the NHL right now. I, 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 I can't say enough. Like I'm taking him over Braden Point any day of the week right now. Braden Point's a fantastic player. He's actually one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, but when it comes to fantasy hockey, it's all about points. And I think Jesper Brad is going to be a hell of a fantasy stud this year. And where you drafted him could be the pick of the draft. I got to be honest. JJ Moser has a little bit of Nikita Kucherov in his game. You know what? I don't. I don't like the mockery. Okay, <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like yeah. it. We're moving on. And these are supposed I, to be. I tough, just man. real. I'm gonna say one last thing, just because yeah. I said. I mean, I seven. Brad put up 73 and 76 last year. Obviously, that's his breakout year. Mm-hmm. But in the COVID shortened season, he put up 30 and 46 at 22 years old. He's only 24. So, you know, like, it's kind of like he's coming right into his peak. Two years ago, he started to show some glimpses after, like, he came in as 18, and he's not a big player, and he put up 35 points. Then he put up 33 and 51, 32 and 60, 30 and 46. Like, not phenomenal, crazy years, but at 21, 20, 22, at his size, pretty good. And then you jump to 73 and 76. And all of a sudden you're at 16 and 10 and you're leading the five on five points. Like that's, I, I, there seems to be a pretty strong upwards trajectory there. Right. So ride with it. 10 game point streak to start the year. Like that's, that's impressive. It really is. 
Okay, another good one for you here. Let's, uh, we'll go to the, towards the defenseman right now. And let's go with the red hot Eric Carlson, who got nine goals, six assists, five pounds to start his year on a tear. Would you rather have him or Adam Fox for the rest of the season? Steven, we'll, we'll start with you. Okay, um, this is a tough one because Carlson, we know what he's done over his career. Like, he's a stud, right? And he's been an offensive stud for a long time. Now, do I think part of this is a high for him, considering he finally is the guy, at least on the defensive end, uh, since Brent Burns is gone? Do I think that's part of it? Yeah. Does that mean, you know, like, can this continue because he's the guy now and this is what he needed? Yeah, maybe. But, you know, he's in the back half of his career. He's 32. He only had 35 and 50 last year and 22 and 52 the year before. Obviously, this pace of 16 po- or 15 points in 12 games isn't sustainable. He's got a hat trick in there. Nine goals is super impressive, but he's got a hat trick in there. He's never had um, – uh, a hat trick with San Jose. I'm not even sure if he's had one in the past with Ottawa, but obviously what I'm saying is this is not sustainable. He's going to regress to the team. Now, Adam Fox, it's not like he's had a terrible start. He's got nine points in 11 games. Do I, am I fairly certain on that New York team, which is fantastic that he's going to put up another 75 to 80 points? Yeah, probably. Can I be certain of that with Eric Carlson on a very weak San Jose team I don't know I I kind of think of Carlson right now as a sell high candidate um do I think he could put up 60 points 65 points 20 goals considering the start he's had totally but I think I would rather go just out of you know defensemen are highly variable to begin with you can get someone with a low variance 75 points like a fox I go with him so I choose fox that's my that's my play yeah, I'm doing the same thing here. Uh, I'm going Fox simply because of the fact that I think the Rangers have a better power play and I think they have a better offense. And Eric Carlson is shooting at a 20% clip right now, which is, for context, his career high throughout his entire career was 8.6%. Or sorry, this is all at five on five. It's so insane five on for five. It's insane all five for- on five. Yeah, he's got five goals on 25 shots, which, by the way, it's pretty great that he's shooting the puck this much shots from him in particular, I think are very noteworthy because when he's shooting, he's into it and he does still have offensive skill. He does still have talent. Like he's not the player that he was, you know, five, six, seven years ago, but still doesn't take away from the fact that he seems to be a lot more healthy. Now he's gone through surgeries. He's, he's, he's actually been able to have an actual, you know, normal, healthy off season and an opportunity where he's now the guy again. And I do think things are going well for him right now. That being said, I do think it is still slightly unsustainable. And like Steven said, there's going to be some regression. And I think I'd rather also just go for, you know, the better bet, like Steven said here, just the sure bet and, and Adam Fox. And what I think is also the better offense, the better team and the better power play. No, I think you, you summed it up perfectly, both of you. Uh, Fox is he's the safer play. He is. Uh, Eric Carlson is out of his mind right now. There's no arguing that. Um, but when we're coming to, to season-long value, 
There's a reason why Adam Fox was drafted as a top five defenseman, and we shouldn't forget that. It's not like he's had a poor start either. He just hasn't been the the, the stud that Eric Carlson's been throughout this to start the year here. But um, what I will say about Eric Carlson is that I do think he will be a top ten fantasy defenseman by the end of the year, and and as long as he's healthy, like I, I, yes, there should be some regression, but I wouldn't be shocked with the seventy point year here from Eric Carlson at this point. Like he's already got fifteen. Can we get you know another you know ten and ten goals and then forty five assists throughout the you know remaining seventy plus games we got here? Like, I don't think that's out of the out of the ordinary. I don't think that's out of the question. Would you put Eric Carlson or Alex Alex Petrangelo? Eric Carlson. Carlson. Really? Okay. Would you rather? I, have... I think I think Theodore takes too much value away from Petrangelo on the offensive side. Eric Carlson, or. Rasmus Dalin. No, Rasmus Dalin. I was going to say Dalin first. I was going to say Dalin first, but no, you didn't, I, say, you didn't say it. You didn't do it. I said I was going. To, I was thinking about it. I really picture didn't happen, dude. Picture didn't happen. Okay, fine. Well, yeah. On that note, him or Dalin, which one would you guys prefer? That's a tough one for me because I've been waiting on this. I'm gonna go Dalin. Yeah, I. I we all know what Deline was supposed to be when he came into the league, right? Like this, he's got, he's got 14 and 10 and Carlson's got 15 and 12. I know it's by like two games, but that's already actually a better point per game. And, you know, Deline has had a number of good years coming in as such a young player. He's only 22. And I think this is finally going to be the big coming out party because Buffalo's looking a lot more decent than they have in previous years, right? They look like a wagon, but you know, Dali was it was negative twenty two last season. He's already plus ten. That's actually impressive. That's a that's a cool stat for Buffalo. Like yeah. that's pretty wild. It is early, uh, but still, that's that's a big improvement. I know it's an archaic stat, but it is still kind of cool to look at. And <laughs> I, I think it'll be very tight between the two of them because I think Darlene's going to be right around low 70s or high 60s, and I think Carlson's going to be right there. It's like the young stud versus the veteran, right? Both of them are kind of... She sees the young bulls coming out of the shower. Young cat. <laughs> uh, okay, let's, let's move on. We'll do one more here. Uh, we'll keep it quick. And we'll go to the wards of the goalies. And um, kind of uh, an interesting little battle here, I think. Uh, would you rather have for the rest of the year Elias Sorokin or UC Saros? Jace, we'll start with you. <sighs> That's really tough. That is tough. And I'm actually like, like UC Saros is, I think, he was my, my either my first or second ranked goalie coming into the season. But I think I've said this before, and this was regarding Roman Yossi playing so well that a lot of things had to go right for Nashville to be, you know, for Roman Yossi to have a 90-point season again. And I think there's a similar logic here with UC Soros. Like, I'm not questioning the volume. I think he'll still continue to start, you know, a ton of games, which, I mean, automatically gives you a safe 4-4 goalie to begin with. In terms of the wins, though, I don't know if he's going to be as productive in that end just because I, I I think that a lot of things are catching up with Nashville right now and I don't really 
see them as a bona fide playoff team. And are the Islanders, I, though? The Islanders are not, but I think that at least from a defensive standpoint, the Islanders at least have proved that they can, you know, hold their own, right? And it's, let's, I mean, let's not forget too that, you know, the Islanders did also make back-to-back conference finals literally the past two years before that. And we're also one of the best defensive teams for the last, I mean, if you don't include last year, the last four or five mm-hmm. years before that, right? And I don't even think they were that bad defensively last year. They just, their problem is they've never been able to really score that much, right? So I do think that in terms of just the defensive side of it and and the overall equality like, chances that these two teams will give up, Nashville is on the end that's going to give up a little bit more of those. And I think they're both probably going to have similar volumes from here on out. I think the plan for New York is to just, you know, ride the, the Sorokin train. Um, that being said, you know, in terms of the variance, I think the variance is bigger for Sorokin here compared to Saros. But I think I'm a little bit more confident in the higher production and the ceiling for Sorokin right now than I am with, with Saros. Unfortunately, Saros is one of my favorite goalies, so it's not really pains me to say it, but I, I think I probably would go Sorokin right now. I read, I read a tweet the other day, and I couldn't quote the, the tweet. I couldn't quote the stats, but I do remember that it was talking about underlying metrics for the Islanders thus far. And five-on-five five numbers, uh, defensively and offensively, are low-key pretty good. Uh, you couple that with the fact that Sorokin's first seven games, he's got a 9-3-5. First eight games for Saros, he's got an 8-9-8. Uh, one team is four and three. The other team is two, five, and one. One team overachieved one last year. Another team underachieved the previous year after going to two conference finals. You know, you put all of that into a blender and then you ask yourself, what have you done for me lately? You know, in this case, the last seven, eight games, when you've got two really good goalies that could probably both be considered top five in the league, you kind of just, if it's that tight and you kind of consider everything I just said, you go with Sorokin, right? Because how, what, what argument do you have if you consider all of those things for Saros that he had a really good year last year? That's that really is the argument. You're bound right. Like that's it, right? I guess getting back to what they were last year. I do think yeah. Saros is going to pick it up. Like I don't. Yeah. Think he's going to be a sub 900 goaltender. Um, he's very talented. Like we we don't we shouldn't forget that he's a very good goalie. Um, but I think they're in a tougher division. I think that's where I kind of maybe get uh, it. And, and Sorokin on a team that didn't make the playoffs had a 925 save percentage over 52 games last year. Right. Like, that's incredible. For a team that didn't make the playoffs and you played that well, wait till things – because maybe they shouldn't have been conference final teams, but they probably shouldn't be a non-playoff team or, or should be more of a bubble team. And they weren't last year with 925. Like, I think, I think if the team just gets back a little bit more to what they should be on the, like a mean level, it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I just think that there's a lot more kind of going for the Islanders and Sorokin than Saros and the Reds. So I think the other potentially big differentiator here is also the volume too, right? Like 
part of the reason why Saros was so good last year is because he started so many games. He had like 67 starts. Yeah. Right. Like that's insane. Like to have that many starts, you automatically give yourself such a strong foundation. And the fact that he was winning games also helped, right? There's a reason why he was the, either the first or second ranked fantasy goalie last year. You know, on the other side of it, I don't think the Islanders planned to give Sorokin 50 starts last year. I really don't think that was in the works. I think they still had Varlamov on for him to kind of, you know, pass the reins over, hand the reins over to Sorokin. But I don't think it was going to be that dramatic of a transition that quickly. So, like, Sorokin has really started to play into his team's trust here. And they, obviously, I think they trust him a lot now he's winning games for them and he has an amazing sat line but i don't like i think there's still some regression due for saros's end and there might be some downward regression even for sorokin here that being said i do think that you know the team is going to be better this year defensively you know potentially offensively too and i am willing to bet on sorokin's sophomore year here and uh, that's really the big, big thing for me. But volume aside is another consideration you have to have here because Saros is just a, a machine when it comes to starting games. All right, guys. Good stuff. That was fun. They were uh, the couple toss-ups there, right? They, were, they weren't easy. I, I didn't throw you any. Uh... Saros and Sorokin is a tight one. Like that, that, because I didn't even really, when I said all those different points that were sort of siding with Sorokin, I didn't consider the fact that Saros had 15 more starts when Sorokin started in 52. Yeah. Like that's now 52 in his first like real year too. Right. Yeah. And like a detractor again, as, as Jace noted, 67 starts does not happen in this modern NHL. Like even a vast left or Shesterkin, it just doesn't make sense on the science level. Like it's you're, you're going to injure them. Like that's that's like some, I don't know, two thousand and five level of starts, like a Kiprasov style, where he played like sixty eight, sixty nine games for the Flames. Like that's kind of unheard of in this era of NHL. Uh, but that's not to say Varlamov won't get some starts more than last year because Varlamov is still obviously a reputable goalie. Anyway, it's a tight one. It's a tight one. It's a tight one. It's a tight one. Uh, okay, fun stuff. Let's uh, let's get the Sock Neighbor Stud of the Week, and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, as always, our uh, last little segment of our show, the Sock Neighbor Stud of the Week, is sponsored by SockingBehavior.com. Great, uh, great socks, quality socks. If you're looking for anything, uh, use our code PuckPod10. That'll give you 10% off any order you have. Let's get right into it here, though. I'm going to lead us off here. Stud of the Week for me, the fantasy cheat code himself, Connor McDavid. Like, there's a few guys in particular. I'm sure you'll bring them up here. I'm going with McDavid because, you know, every now and then, I know he's the number one player. You got to give credit when credit is due. Last seven days, six goals, five assists, uh, five power play points. He's an absolute machine. Like, there's there, there's nothing else I even need to really say here. No. <laughs> nothing else I need to say here. He's my stud of the week. Jace, how about you? So we brought, about, we brought him up before on the show, and – we have to bring him up again. The Renaissance man himself, Eric Carlson, uh, with an absolutely insane last couple of days here. In the last week alone, he's got six goals, three assists, four power play points, 17 shots. The guy is just 
It's vintage Eric Carlson right now. This is, uh, you know, this is what we want to see. He makes the game a lot more fun when he's playing the way that we know he can play. And it's been a long time and he's dealt with a lot of injuries, had a lot of surgeries, but, you know, looks like he's coming back into form here. Uh, great health on his side and something you just want to keep on seeing because he's just, he's fun to watch when he's on and he's on right now. Uh, Eric Carlson, my stud of the week. Two very strong studs. I'll give you that, boys. But neither of them are the CN Tower of Buffalo. That being Tage Thompson. He's got 11 points in his last three games. He's got 19 shots in his last three games, four power play points, plus four, and a block because he does it all. <laughs> got, you know, he's already got 14 points on the season after, you know, a strong 38 gold uh, campaign last year. Uh, he, he was shooting the puck a ton, but the start of the season, at least the first six, seven games, it wasn't going in for him. And then he started, he had one game uh, before this three game explosion, eight shots. And it just felt, okay, something's coming. Then he went two goals and an assist in 14 minutes, six point night. And I'll tell you a funny stat. He went to that game on Halloween, dressed up as Wayne Gretzky. And who had the Halloween record of six points? was Wayne Gretzky. So he went and tied Wayne Gretzky's record dressed as Wayne Gretzky on Halloween, three goals, three assists, two power play points, and nine shots. And then on top of that, followed up 18-minute performance against Pittsburgh with a goal and assist. My stud, my socking behavior stud of the week, CN Tower, Tage Thompson. Really committed to the costume, huh? I love that. Yeah, it's a spooky stat. It's a cool stat, though, no? It's a cool stat. It's a cool stat. It's very particular, very specific. It's very, it's very CN Tower S, but yeah, Chase Thompson, man. All Good right. All right. Uh, yeah, no, those are definitely the big three, I think, from the past seven days or so. Those are our Socky Neighbor Studs of the Week. Uh, and this has been our show. It's been a fun one for you. As always, Puck Around Podcast. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to your podcast, we're on there. Give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram at the underscore FH Network. And as always, just thank you for listening. We're, ha we're happy to be along with you. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us anytime. But we'll speak to you soon. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Peace.